Welcome everyone to the Product Fund Podcast. Today we have Jeff Coyle, Co-Founder and Chief Strategy Officer at MarketMuse. How are you, Jeff? I'm doing great. So pumped to talk about this with you and learn more about what you're doing. Mm -hmm. So as we were setting up this podcast, the topic of how community management principles can support product-led growth came up. So when we speak about product-led growth in general, community does come to mind, but it's just one of the aspects. And community management, I normally think that it's own bubble. So could you tell me more about how the principles can support PLG? Yeah, sure. And so the, you know, some of the things I like to kind of lead the topic of, you know, a lot of times community management gets bucketed as a kind of a subset of social media. Mm-hmm. And so when people are coming at it from a product management perspective, what I find is that typically traditional product management, classically trained product managers, product management don't come from a land of social media. So because community management is often like relegated or bucketed in that group, they're not thinking about community-focused growth until after the fact. But now what you're seeing is a lot of product managers in kind of like a new wave, um, you know, spurred on by amazing entities like product-led and, and other similar entities, they have those skills just embedded in their, you know, their DNA. Like they've grown up and they live with being part of communities. They live with being social. So you're seeing it like seep its way into PLG. It's an um, infection. Product-led growth, yeah, product-led <laughs> growth and, and the what you're starting to see is the spike of companies having success by their users mm-hmm. actually feeling like they're members. And the output of that, the value that that brings creates a whole lot more optionality for running a product-led growth-focused organization. So when someone's coming in and they're buying a software product and they're a user of the software product, mm-hmm. well, typically it's going to be a journey for them to like have to go through a lot of hoops. Like It's really kind of a stretch in a traditional product-led growth for them to then be members of community or for them to feel like they're a champion of that entity. And for them, to, they sometimes they have to do a bunch of work in order to get to it. Yeah. So I equate it to going from sales-led growth to product-led growth. A lot of the things that get automated and optimized, things like experiencing the offering, understanding mm-hmm. the value, uh, rolling your own onboarding, getting yeah. to the aha moment, right? Those are kind of table stakes for product-led growth. Well, Activation as a champion, being able to collaborate with other users, being able to get certified, get through a training program, go through those steps are the path to virality and the path to champion development. And that's where their community management skills Mm. are embedded in product-led growth. The last thing, and and I'll pause for a second, is what I've learned from my experience as working with hundreds and hundreds of publishers. SaaS companies, e-commerce agencies is no matter what the content is, if you aren't part of it, you know, it's happening anyway. And that is the other part for SaaS companies, maybe more traditional executives of SaaS, where they're looking at this and going, PLG, isn't that the same thing as self-serve, right? You know, that's mm-hmm. kind of like the, the synonym, right? Is, okay, well, there's 
conversation about your product happening. Mm -hmm. There's interactions about your product happening in peer groups, in uh, review sites, in Stack Exchange, on G2, on Facebook forums. If you aren't part of it, Mm -hmm. you can't harness it. And that's the thing, right? Uh, You can't harness it into your actions. So the two pieces of it is getting to champion development and virality faster. And if you aren't part of it, you certainly can't control it. (laughs) You're blowing my mind here. I didn't think of it that way. Uh, I mean, yeah, it was, as I said on my earlier question, like its own niche. Yeah, with the uh, niche, niche. I'm not yeah. sure. <laughs> it's in its own you can bubble. You can even go niche, niche if you want. <laughs> yeah, niche. We had the topic. Uh, we had a conversation like that in our one of our meetings, and it lasted longer than it should have. Any case, it's in its own bubble. So now that I think of it that way, with how you're presenting this, I mean, like, hell yeah. Okay, I get it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so it seems that you're quite big on community. How has this affected the overall product-led growth at Market News? Well, for us, it's allowed us to make the transition to hybrid. Mm. Because we started as a sales-led growth organization. And we've slowly made this meandering, painful journey to product-led, mm-hmm. to having a self-service offering, to having a Slack community of users who are the customer profile of our premium offering Mm -hmm. to having a Facebook community that is users who are of the profile of our standard, our self-service offering to having a thriving customer conference, Mm -hmm. which in its first effort in June, we had a virtual event with more than 1,500 people registered with something like 87% attendance rate in our first ever customer conference. That's insane. Yeah, it was wild, right? And to having, you know, experiences like we had last week with our kickoff, where we had multiple customers come Mm -hmm. to our kickoff and present to us their experience of working with us, right? You know, and that to me, brings a bunch of these examples. And, and, you know, some of the highlights for us were we took major risks in a activating additional channels. Uh, so we activated a channel. We gave a shot to a, a, a lifetime deal channel. We mm-hmm. tried to see what that community would look at. The self-service channel, building a, a Slack community to show that we cared about our community during the aftermath of COVID. Mm-hmm. And what that's all brought for us is just those types of outcomes. So what I'd say is thinking critically about community Mm -hmm. and support has allowed us to have a successful transition. So now we think about our free offering and our standard offering as being a opportunity creator for our premium offering. Whereas before, when we weren't necessarily as in touch with our users Mm -hmm. through the communities and through the outreach and feedback cycles and surveys and stuff, we didn't have as much of a finger on the pulse of the value that they had. And what it's also allowed us to do is make major changes. Mm-hmm. We've made major changes to our product that I like to say, community gets you out of the office, right? Mm-hmm. And in, in PLG, if for PLG offering, if you're stuck in your office and you're only listening to your colleagues and you're only listening to your boss, 
right? Mm -hmm. You can only go so far. You don't really know. Uh, you know, a couple of user interviews every quarter <laughs> and a product council aren't enough. It's not enough. You also have to build skin. You got to build thick skin so that you experience what it's like to have a negative sentiment emergency. You experience what it's like to have a disaster in public, to have transparent communications. You go through the trauma. We were talking about trauma uh, before our chat today. You go through the trauma <laughs> of dealing with that and reflecting. Like, am I actually empathetic? Did I make this product change for the right reasons? It challenges your prioritization framework. And I think it makes you tougher. Being a community manager, having community-led focus and more transparency makes you tougher, but it's not as comfortable. And, uh, and so I always say that that is, is one piece. And then the next piece is get you out of the office. The next piece is I would love nothing more than for every user of Market Muse to feel like they were part of, they were a member of Market Muse. And I'm not there yet. That's still my journey. Mm -hmm. I would love for them to be a member of Market Muse um, because that means that they can, will learn from us. That means that they will participate with us yeah. and they will become champions of our business. And that journey is what I'm still on. And I don't get it right very often. I bat 25%, but you know, it's okay. <laughs> one of the things that one of my mentors or my coaches taught me when it comes to community management is that it is tougher than your usual position because it's not just numbers and whatnot. There's more of a human element to it. Mm -hmm. And you really have to go through that conversation with the negative opinions about your company because that's where the new perspectives come in. Some of them you don't really have to entirely listen to, but but uh, that's how you form your thick skin. But going back, you still have to listen. You have to have an ear out for them. Basically, uh, you have to install a red phone a la Batman. Something yeah. like that. Mm -hmm. From like a business perspective, uh, one of the points about managing a community is that it's difficult to quantify how it affects business growth. So we've had other guests get asked this question. Why did you invest in your community? How did you measure that? Stuff like that. Was there any particular metrics that you have to pay attention to to really know the impact your community has on your growth? I mean, it's not like we can do surveys all the time. Yeah, it's super hard. Mm -hmm. You have to treat, you have to figure out what kind of economies of scale you're dealing with. Yeah, You have to be able to value your clients appropriately. So your actual lifetime values, uh, customer lifetime values, or at least have a projected value component. And why? Those people in each stage have a, you have to have their dossier almost, or their their experiential biography for dealing with your company. So you've got to know how a bill became a law with them becoming connected to you. You have to really, really fight for attribution because if you know, like a lot of times we just, it, these things become anecdotal. Mm -hmm. You've got to figure out how do you make it more than anecdotal? So I'll give you a, a great example, literally yesterday, okay? I have two mm -hmm. great examples of this from yesterday. A deal comes in for Market Muse, it was a hundred and something thousand dollars, right? And everybody's mm -hmm. like, sweet, right? hundred and something thousand dollars. And 
I said, hey, everybody pause for a second, okay? Mm-hmm. That's a renewal by these people at our company. The first deal was sold by this rep and they were assisted by these people who worked with them to sell a deal. The steps before that was, in this case, I was part of the first conversation after the person had already used Market Muse at a different company, I believe, or, or something like that. And I'm like, and so I had connected. Before that, it was another part of a person in my team had connected me to that person. Then before that, it was an investor who made the connection to another one of his portfolio companies. And it's like, it tracks back, right? So that network effect needs to be understood for you so that the whole team realizes that you're a functioning unit. And if let's say that means they came from an, an article that we wrote on the blog. It was their mm-hmm. first experience with Market Muse. They clicked on it. They signed up for free. They then bought Standard. And then they added three users. And then someone on our sales team reached out and said, hey, you have four users. You know, You might as well upgrade to premium because it adds all these other features and they're like, okay, sweet. And then they become a mid-market, you know, customer for (laughs) 50 grand a year, right? If everyone doesn't know that journey, that can happen. The ideal journey, no one will ever give it the attribution, (laughs) right? You've got to have that dossier. Everybody's Uh got to get it because you know, who's responsible for that second, that latter example, right? Who's the Mm. first touch responsibility and who's the last touch? The first touch responsibility was the money invested in content strategy on our site. The last touch attribution was the sales route, right? Mm-hmm. Who typically gets the credit? I see. Last touch. Right, 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 right. And not first touch. Well, let's say this person joined our Slack community. Mm-hmm. He's in there for a year, right? Now he goes and works for, I'm looking at my golf bag. He goes and works for Top Flight. Right. Mm-hmm. And top flight four months later becomes a customer. Right. Let's say they reached out manually and called in and then mm-hmm. were handed to a rep. What is your CRM going to say is the attribution there? It's going to say offline call in sales rep. Right. But the reality is that Joe Smith or whatever his name is, the originating source was the Slack community when he worked for that agency he used to work for. So until you go and look through your clients, value them and attribute, you'll never drive back to value. You'll never drive back to true value. And that's where community management has its problems. That's where content has its problems because it can't, it often loses its attribution during the process and it's often hard to attribute, but it means everything. It means everything. That's (laughs) so true. I mean, it's difficult to find out who started what when the story is, I know a guy who knows a guy that knows a guy who knows a girl and then knows another guy, something like that. And then, okay, who started this? You're trying to find that out. And, oh, okay. So they heard about this through here. Yeah. All right. Thank you. That's all I needed to know. <laughs> right. But then, but then it's, it's making sure that, you know, so imagine you want an army of marketers. Yeah. You're not one person. You can be a 500 people. You can be... You know, I, I always love the example of uh, employee advocacy and its impact on social, right? So if you have a hundred person company, mm-hmm. all right? And I, by the way, I cry about this every blanking day, you know, 50 people company, mm-hmm. but all your social media posts 
your average likes and retweets and, and it is 18. Hmm? That's sad. It should be more than 50, right? And Ooh. you don't get, your whole company doesn't recognize that amplification of your own message has an impact on their jobs, all right? And that goes to say, how many of us in our 30-person software company participate on the Facebook group? Oftentimes, the answer on that 50-person company is three. One? Why isn't it 50? Doesn't that impact your life? Right? So employee advocacy in the community is typically a bellwether of the community's success. And it's something I struggle with a lot too. But that is a key. If everyone understands the value of the community and that they have value, I don't care if you're in finance, I don't care if you're in customer support. I don't care if you're in product. I don't care if you're in sales. You add value because it's your face. The most important thing in community management is human connections. I love it when I'm looking at a, a software product and they trick you. They trick you, right? You know, you want more of your team members to be part of this trial? Invite them here. You invite them. And then when the person gets the trial, I think they get little boxes with your avatar. So, wow, there's like a, there's a bunch of humans experiencing this. And those humans are on my team. That's a psychological neuromarketing technique of yeah. human connection. You know, what I, you know what that client, then what that person just did mm -hmm. with that community? They created a micro community and they created a buying team community, right? So that's what, <laughs> that's what BDRs, that's what great sales reps and sales-led growth organizations have been trying to do for years. Imagine if your customer created their own buying team in your software. That's what people pay hundreds of thousands of dollars to Zoom infos uh -huh. and all this stuff to, to have somebody, oh, we had to do an account plan. Imagine if your client's building your account plan for you. Um, you know, so these are the types of things that community drives. It's the outcome of sales-led growth, which is champion development, account planning, all of that. But it brings it earlier in the process and it creates champions quickly. And the tough part is the attribution. <laughs> That's absolutely beautiful. I mean, going back to our trauma topic, uh, <laughs> once you're over the trauma of mm -hmm. understanding your clients, your customers, or whoever, and then having that red phone with them, they do the selling themselves. They find out how to buy your product themselves and they customize it for themselves, which is the entire idea of being product-led. Yes. Oh, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> it's beautiful. So Wait, wait, wait. wait. I'll, stop, I'll stop on that though. What I'll mm -hmm. also add is that when you go through trauma with somebody, yeah. even if they didn't start on your side, it does bring a connection. A human connection. Yeah, yeah. And I'll tell you two quickie anecdotes that'll make your the hair stand up on the back of your neck. All right. I have had, and this is not facetious, I have had death threats as a co-founder of a software company. Early on in my career doing mm -hmm. this, that would have caused me to not sleep at night. All right. I could imagine. As product-led growth, and you're thinking critically about the experience that you've actually created something that could elicit that level of emotion mm -hmm. is a magical thing. And you know that you have to stay empathetic. You have to stay empathetic and understand 
that experience that somebody's going through. Why? Their personal value, their business mm-hmm. value. You created so much angst and anxiety. You influenced that. Whether they're right or wrong, clearly in this case, wrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> First of all, I'm a person. I have a family. <laughs> Not cool, dude. But you know, you were able to influence that. So you know there's a path to positive emotions, right? So you go, by going that, through that trauma together, what comes out of it is respect on both sides. So That's when someone true. has a, I can't believe you guys, you don't answer your, I, I put this question in the forum two weeks ago. Can't seem to get a clear answer. You're costing me money. You know, you're impacting my bottom line. I'm going to try this competitor product. You know, whatever the, the wackadoodle stuff that's going on is, right? Mm-hmm. Put yourself in their shoes. You will grow as a community manager. You'll, your CEO will grow. Your head of marketing will grow. Your head of product will grow if you really put yourself in their shoes. Mm-hmm. And what ends up happening in a lot of organizations is only one person touches that. It's customer support or no one goes through that trauma so then they debase the use cases. They debase personas. They're like, oh, well, you know, eh, you know, that type of user, how valuable are they to the community? How, much, how valuable are they to our bottom line anyway, right? And they don't get that experience, that, that feeling, hey, we, through our software, we elicited, we created emotions. We're impactful. Well, let's say we could create the same level of excitement on the other direction by just understanding more. I think that brings a lot. Um, so, you know, I, I, the journey is challenging sometimes. It builds a lot of mm-hmm. sharp elbows and scar tissue. Yeah. But yeah. if you want to fast track that scar tissue, listen a whole lot more. Right. It's giving me war flashbacks when I was still working as a customer service rep at a call center. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I am causing you trauma today. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. It's good. Maybe it's how I handle the call, but mm-hmm. it was one of my worst QA scores. Mm-hmm. At the same time, it was my highest sale call. So there was like, okay, I feel for you. So we went through the emotions of being angry at the company together, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. You're not really allowed to do that uh, in some call centers. So we we analyze that. So I get where you're coming from. To cut things short, you get where you're coming from because they're already emotionally invested. And once there's that change, once they feel that somebody else is there with them, maybe from the other side, maybe from somewhere else, the attack or the vibe, if you may, completely changes. I'm going to have to wrap things up here uh, real quick. So what are two pieces of advice or two key takeaways that you'd like our listeners to get from this particular episode? Yeah. I mean, one thing would be to really, if it isn't part of your practice, you know, you're a product manager, maybe you don't feel like you're a salesperson, yeah. right? And maybe you don't have consultative selling or value selling a background. Your product will be better for it if you did. So take some serious steps and uh, we got a little visitor. That's great. Take some serious steps. I'm the father of a three-year-old and a five-year-old. So I've seen it all, done it all with respect to that. Yeah. Um, take some serious steps to get empathy selling, 
uh, value selling, consultative selling. Uh, Bob Apollo from Inflection Point is one of my idols, value selling uh, that mm-hmm. company. Try to do what you can. Take a motion to try to bring that to your product because the premise of, of a lot of that is show them that you know them. Yeah. And you want to show them that you know them through the product, right? And that, that would be one. And two is find some communities that are active on a product and that rev, that rev the engine of that product. And that flywheel going. Yeah, try to figure out why that one worked, right? Why did this one work? Or go look at one that's dead or dying, right? And just try to figure out for yourself, like, what are the components that are are working? What are the components that are not? How are people, and I like to, um, I have a chart that I use. Are there community events? Is there a job board? Is there space for people to ask questions? Is there space for uh, people to show their accomplishments, mm-hmm. their credentials, certification? Are there podcasts like this one? Are there templates, tutorials? Is there learning experiences? Who are the active partners, channel champions? Like what, what are the aspects of this community mm-hmm. that make it a place where members exist versus a place where users exist? And when you go from that journey, now go to an old school SaaS company and go mm-hmm. look at their forum. Those are users. I type in my support question. Hey, I can't get this blue link to be blue. And then someone's like, in order to make the blue link not be blue anymore, click this button. Blah, blah, blah. Missed opportunity. What do you want to be? So my guidance for, you, for everybody is consultative selling plus figure out who do you want to be? Do you want to be a support forum or do you want to be a community and product-led entity. Okay, that is absolutely beautiful. <laughs> During one of our meetings, I had this like analogy wherein everybody was working on content for the classes and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And it was my job to man the lobby while <laughs> uh, students are waiting for their next class and mm-hmm. provide them coffee, welcome them, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So... Of course, they would want to stay in a lobby where there's music, ambient lighting, stuff to read, stuff to do. Then just a standard coffee shop where there's just a bar, no seats, no tables, nothing to do. So just having those elements there makes it more welcoming and provides an atmosphere of communication between your users, your customers, what have you, and you. And so that's where your flywheel comes in. And you can observe them from there. There's that study there. So your insights are absolutely beautiful. I mean, when I like something, I typically say that it's amazing. When I really, really like something, I call it beautiful because there's like that poetic thing towards it because it wraps up so nicely, tie it with a bow. (laughs) something like that and because of there's that payoff like our conversation earlier i'm still dealing with the trauma of a nap (laughs) there's that payoff of okay okay what's going on you see the roller coaster thing yeah okay so it's so beautiful like how you're going with this so if people would like to get more of your insight just to jump on a conversation with you or just to reach you see your face something (laughs) like that who knows? They might be a fan of your face. What are the best avenues for our listeners to reach you just in case they'd like to do so? Yeah, for sure. So 
I love how you describe the trauma and the arc and the story. So I, I'm actually a, a big, I'm a huge nerd of storytelling as well. So another, ah. another, <laughs> another tip, like, you know, yeah, super storytelling nerd. That's why, you know, that bow wrapped up pretty good. Right. But yeah, uh, there's actually a, another book called a uh, uh, story worthy by Matthew Dix, um, mm-hmm. which I would recommend go check it out. It'll make you a better SAS uh, professional. Um, but you can contact me, uh, Jeff at marketmuse.com. I'm active on LinkedIn and Twitter, uh, Jeffrey <laughs> underscore coil on Twitter. If you DM me, if you want to talk, I am most of the time do the best I possibly can. If you're mm-hmm. into content strategy, I have a Slack community called the Content Strategy Collective. And so you ping me uh, and I'll shoot you an invite for that community. I think we have about 1500 of the world's best content strategists and search engine optimization professionals and product managers in that group. And uh, if you want to be on my content strategy webinar series, uh, if you're into SEO, content strategy, how products and content mix, uh, shoot me a note. I'll get you on the calendar. All right. Okay. Thank you so much, Jeff. For sure. So that wraps up our episode of the Product-Led Podcast. That was Jeff Coyle, co-founder and chief strategy officer at Market Muse. Thank you so much for listening and we'll hear from you next time. Take care. Take care.